Exciting episode of Under the Dome. Um, I think we're quoting a Thin Lizzy song, a little Gary, Gary Moore stuff. Um, the boys are back in town. Um, uh, my name's Alan Orth. I'm your co-host, along with uh, Sean Williams tonight. And how are you doing tonight, Sean? All good in my neighborhood. It's uh, it's the office. <laughs> that, that means that there's uh, there's very little to do, and uh, throw out random rumors to get people's hearts in uh, palpitations. So, <laughs> moving right along, uh, we want to thank our, our sponsor, uh, Fan First Productions, and invite everyone to. You know, Alan, we we set a goal that by the draft we wanted to have a hundred subscribers on YouTube and we're only 10 away from that right now. Uh, of course, good the deal. Draft, the draft is coming gone. We, we have mm-hmm. 90 subscribers at the point. So we want to invite everybody to go and do that on uh, iTunes and on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our podcast. You'll get a weekly reminder uh, and every, Whenever we're getting ready to go live, it'll send you the link automatically. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, one thing that we're very proud of here, uh, the Under the Dome podcast, is that we are all about our fans. We're about Saints fans, and we're about Under the Dome podcast fans. Uh, and we, we try to do what we can to uh to be there for our fans as well and there's a member of the that nation who uh who has requested that i request remember her in your in your prayers this week she is having surgery on thursday uh marie baca uh you guys please keep her in your prayers for uh procedure she's having done thursday uh that the that the doctors will uh guide their hands and everything will work out fine and uh god's got this now uh, this this isn't Absolutely. like a uh but uh i i don't uh i don't make two directions about my beliefs either all that being said uh you guys, if you would, please remember uh, Marie Baca in your prayers, uh, and we'll, I will try to uh, to keep everybody updated on our Facebook page. Uh, and speaking of which, we invite everyone. Uh, Alan's handle is at seventy nine Saints. My handle is at Drew's Dad thirty seven twenty one. And collectively, <laughs> I guess you could say, the uh, the show Twitter account is under the dome po one at under the dome po one, and uh, also our our media guy, the uh, the stirs drink so to speak. Uh, our MVP, Mr. John Pinto, is at JB Pinto three. Correct. Yep. Why can't why can I never remember John's 
Twitter handle. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it just shows up as John Pinto of mine, so. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, uh, John is like a member of my family, man. I, I think the world of John, and I cannot imagine the past several months that we have experienced here with this and the growth and uh, everything absolutely blowing up for us. I can't imagine John not having been a part of that. Uh, he, he's uh, he's every bit as big a part of this as Alan and I, and uh, he appreciated. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, Alan, yes. Have you heard the latest uh, run? Which one? Uh, Which one are we going to give? We're trading, trading Mark from for a new stadium. <sighs> you know, <laughs> I uh. <laughs> okay, let's start from the beginning here. First off, you've got people, you had people all during the draft saying you trade Mark Ingram, saying you trade Mark Ingram, saying you trade Mark Ingram, who are they going to get? Oh, they should get uh, they should get a, a pick for him, like a high pick, first off. They should get a pick for him and draft uh, uh, for Leonard Fournette. They should draft Leonard Fournette. We can get Fournette and he could do that. You know, and then when that didn't happen, you know, um, as soon as, well, first off, you know who had the post that, that who broke the news that uh, Ungo was going to be out all the way through the beginning of the season. You know, Ian Crappenport. <laughs> you know, it's just, he, he, he is the same guy who in 2014, you know, when Drew Brees got injured, uh, in t against Tampa, oh, he's out for the year. It's, it's serious surgery he's going to have to have. He's out for the year. And, of course, yeah. Drew only missed a game and came back. So, like I said, back when that story broke out, consider the source. He's gonna, only going to miss the OTAs. Sure enough, today comes out. He should be ready by preseason, at least the middle of preseason. So, the panic kind of a little bit. But yeah, and then some Philadelphia, I guess, either bloggers or beat writers or somebody <clears throat> sat there and said, say, you know, the Eagles don't have a running back worth a damn on the roster. The Saints have like five or seven of them. They just lost their center. Let's come up with a scenario where we trade a guy they're going to cut anyway. We're going to trade him. And a linebacker that we've been trying to ship off since free agency began for Mark Ingram. You know, because the Saints have Adrian Peterson. The 32-year-old Adrian Peterson. They've got Lasco, who finished the season in reserve. They've got Cadet. They've got Murphy. Neither of those guys will be on the roster. And they've got, of course, Alvin Kamara, who they drafted in the third round. 
Meanwhile, you've got <laughs> professional sports writers who sit there and say, yeah, the Saints have all these running backs. They've got Adrian Peterson. How are they going to distribute all these carries among all these running backs? I'm like, have you not watched the Saints for the past five to ten years on how they do this? So, yeah, it, it, it was just so, so much stupidity. And then you've got people coming up with scenarios where, you know, I, I just read one that you know, they're going to get rid of Ingram after this contract expires. They should try and trade him now while he has value and all these other things. I think I put a, a picture of a guy beating his head on the table because <laughs> I don't know how many times you can say this. Running backs don't have much value in the NFL anymore. And if you're going to trade a running back, absolutely. if you're going to trade a running back, because the CBA, because the way the CBA is written now, it encourage you, encourages you to get rid of older players and bring in younger ones. If you were going to trade Mark Ingram, and I think he'll be 30 when his contract expires, um, but if you were going to trade Mark Ingram, the time to trade him was in 2012, 2013, 2014, that era when he was still under his rookie contract and he still had two or three years worth left on his rookie contract, that's when he had his maximum value because he was young enough and cheap enough to make it worthwhile for a team. You weren't going to get a first-round pick for him, but you were going to get something of him for him. Right yeah, now. And the, the result of that was we signed him to a long-term deal. Yeah, we signed him to a four-year deal. Um. The guy who has the most trade value right now for the Sonda Saints roster is this guy right here. Yeah. Michael Thomas. He's on a rookie contract and 1,000 yards receiving. Looks like a big play, number one receiver. There's your high trade value, but no one's going to talk about trading him because, you know, he's probably the most explosive and best weapon we have right now, you know, Cooks, what was his value when he got traded? His value was a 32, the, the 32nd pick overall, the, lo, the, the last pick of the first round. Not even a higher pick. We lost value based on what we drafted him for and where we ended up getting a, a pick for him. Okay? I'm not going to count the third and the fourth round pick deal, because that was basically, we gave New England our fourth to move up to take their lowest third. So we're really just looking at purely from the standpoint of draft pick value. And to me, draft pick value, um, we saw Cooks, a thousand yard receiver with speed galore was only worth the 32nd overall pick. So these delusions that Ingram's gonna get you your second round pick back, or the Ingram's gonna get you any kind of value it's just insane. So you've got that working against you. You're going to take a cap hit when you trade him because his cap is backloaded, you know, and, and his age works against you. A team is not going to give up much for a 28, 29, 30-year-old running back. They're just not. Yeah. They can go and not when they can go draft one. So none of this deal makes sense. That, well, that's beside the point, the fact he's a thousand yard rusher, five point yards to carry. He should he's your number one lead back. I'm just talking about the financials and the and the real the realistic value for it. 
you know, a lot of people seem to take for granted, and I were discussing this last night, people just take for granted now that role of a running back in today's game has changed so much. It the the days of having guys like your Barry Sanders, your Emmett Smith, your Eric Dickerson, days aren't are gone. That is not the role that a running back plays in the modern game. If uh, if you don't have a quarterback superstar that your offense is supposed to have is your franchise quarterback and if you don't have a franchise quarterback you're not competing for for serious you, you, can, states. you can compete you're not going to win the playoffs that, the playoffs. That's, that's that that was what i was i was kind of yeah because you look at the texans for example the texans have had adrian uh um uh Foster, I can't think it was, I want to say Adrian, but it's not Adrian. Um, but they have Foster on the team. Arian. And Arian Foster, thank you, Arian Foster. And what's been the Texas, Texans, they got a great defense too, but what has been the Texans' biggest Achilles heel when they get to the playoffs? It's the lack of a quarterback. Even when Matt Schaub was playing well for them, he never made it to the playoffs. They always he always got hurt or something would happen, and you had to have a um, good God, I can't even think of Yates, Savage. Yeah. You know, you've always had these second and third string guys coming in there. Uh, Case Keenum um, coming in to play where they would lose because the quarterback simply could not make the plays necessary to get them to the next level. So, yeah, I mean, you watch or YouTube looking for old football games all the time, but if you watch um, any football game from the 70s, especially pre-1978, the entire game is based on the ground game. Um, everything, it, it's very little passing. What, in, in Super Bowl eight? I think uh, Bob Greasy put a ball in the air eight times um, and completed seven passes. The rest of it was uh, Larry Zonka, you know, Mercury Morris, and Jim Kick just pounding the crap out of that team. Um, it was all based on the running game then. So, you know, we've seen a complete evolution in football. So, yeah, you're right. You're not going to see – a team based on one running back. They're going to run – everything's running back by committee uh, and situational backs. They're not going to have one guy who's a three-down back anymore. They just can't do it. They can't take the punishment. Um, Thursday night games play a big role in that too because you have fewer games. Now you've got games uh, – less time to get healthy. You've got um, – You've got fewer times where you can rotate people in and out. You, you need to have multiple backs who can shoulder a lot of the load. So, what you looking for? Something to clean these nasty glasses. Here it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, that brings us to Adrian Peterson. I, I can't see. <laughs> you can't um, see. 
let's let's talk about Adrian Peterson and why people need to turn off YouTube and stop looking at 2012 Adrian Peterson because that's not who you're getting. Yes, and you know I uh, I went on our friendly neighborhood NOS group, <laughs> the the bane of some people's existence. But anyway. <laughs> Um, I, I went on there and I posted a live video. I invite everyone to go and check that out. Uh, you have to put things into context. You got a, a I, I'm pretty sure, based on what I know and what I've seen of this game, you've got a first ballot, possibly even unanimous uh, choice. Hall of Fame running back in on your uh, your roster now. Mm-hmm. He's not the Adrian Peterson of two years ago. He's not the Adrian Peterson of five years ago. He's not the Adrian Peterson. Of, it's uh, it's Adrian Peterson coming off of a uh, I want to say second uh, blown blown out knee. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a blunt knee. He had a meniscus tear, which um, my uh, daughter's had a partial meniscus tear. So I know what I know what it is. Yeah. He, he's coming off of a year where he was suspended for all, but I think one game, and then the following mm-hmm. year he had a meniscus tear. Um, years old, and he's averaged over three hundred carries a season. Okay. Um, that's a lot of punishment. Primary sure. back for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, there was no other. I mean, you had what Eckhart Taylor in the 2009 season, and you had um, uh, I can't think of his damn name now. Uh, starts with an A, but uh, it'll come to me. Asiata. Asia Asiata. That's it. Yeah. Anyway. You've had these guys, but they weren't – it wasn't a 50-50 thing. It was like, oh, yeah, this guy came in, you know, for a blow for Peterson every so often. But basically, Peterson carried had to carry that team. And he took a yeah. lot of hits over that time. He's an upright runner. Sure. He He's a very physical runner. And those runners don't last very long. And he's 32 now. Now, granted, I've seen the pictures of him. He looks like an Olympic god. His cut. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. I've, you know, that man, his body. And yes, the treatment today is nothing like the treatment of even 20 years ago. Okay? So I get that. But you only have so many carries in you. And that's, that's just a harsh reality. Because I remember looking yep. at Jerome Bettis, a muscle stimulator, just to get out of bed in the morning when, at the end of his career. They did a profile right before I think Super Bowl um, 40, where I think that was Bettis' last game, where, yeah, he was using yeah. muscle stimulator to help him get out of bed you know, and walk. Okay? That's what happens to you. So I think somebody equated football, professional football for a running back is being in multiple car accidents every Sunday. 
And yeah. then getting right back in the car the next day to be in another major car accident. And uh, they said your body just doesn't respond like it did when you were in your 20s. So those little nicks, aches, and pains that all the players go through throughout the course of a season, nobody is 100% healthy after week one. Nobody. Unless you didn't no. play at all. But if you were, if you play at all, you're not 100% healthy. And you won't be 100% healthy until well after the season's over with. So yeah. you're constantly pushing yourself through taking painkillers or whatever it is um, to push yourself through the season. And I look at a player like Earl Campbell. Campbell came to the Saints in 83 or well, 84. 84 was the year. People think of Earl Campbell coming to the Saints in 84 like he was 35, 36 years old. He came when he was 29 years old, okay? He came in the league in 1978 and with Saints in 84. So he had only played what? One, two, three, four, five, six. He was in his seventh season in the league, Okay moving like a guy who had been in the league for 20 years by the time he came to the Saints in 84. Mm-hmm. 83, he was already broken down with the Houston Oilers. He still got 1,000 yards. He got 1,300 yards. So I'm looking at his stats right here. He got 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns on a horrible team. A horrible team in 83. Those are the Saints in 84. We gave up a number one draft choice for him. And we trade in 85, we trade George Rogers, who was the first round overall pick in 1980, to the Washington Redskins because we're going to trust in Earl, okay? Earl manages what? Uh, Stats. He manages 643 yards, his worst season as a pro. Okay? No, second worst. His worst season was 82, but that was a strike year. Um, but his worst season as a pro, and I'll never forget, I saw Earl Campbell. Um, my lasting memory of him as a Saints player, he breaks open in the dome against the Atlanta Falcons. Nothing in front of him but the end zone. About the 20-yard line, thereabouts, he pulls a hamstring, reaches down, grabs the back of his leg, trying to massage that, holding the ball out like a loaf of bread. A Falcons player comes from behind him, pops the ball forward, ball rolls into the end zone, touchback. Earl wasn't seen anymore the rest of that day. But he moved like an old man already. And that's what people have to understand when you're talking about Adrian Peterson today. When you look at him today, yes, he is a Hall of Famer, guaranteed. First ballot, Hall of Famer, Ar- uh, arguably the greatest running back of his era, okay? He just can't carry the ball 20 times anymore like he used to. If he carries the ball 10 times a game for all 16 games, that's 160 carries. That's about what he can handle now. And I think that's going to be his role with the Saints. And the people that think that he's going to – surpass Mark Ingram with the carries, that he is going to suddenly morph into 
the Adrian Peterson we saw in 2012. He was the NFL comeback player of the year, MVP type of player. I just don't see it. I, I, I may be totally wrong, but I just can't see him being able to take that kind of punishment for 16 games. I, I can't either, and I, I'm kind of torn. Uh, on one hand, you've got Adrian Peterson uh, theoretically sitting back saying, okay, this is, this is still Ingram's team. Uh, I'm in high tower role. Okay. It, how, how many years has, uh, has Ingram been in New Orleans? Since 2011. Six? So this, is, this will be his uh, eighth year, seventh year. He's been 2011. So No, six years. Six years. So it's be his seventh season starting up. 2011. How many of those six seasons has he gone post to post? Without two. injury, two, two, okay. this year included, 2016 included. Okay, two times. The point I'm trying to make is, uh, all that time before AP signed, everybody's talking about, oh my God, it's hurt. The next man up is going to be Traveris Cadet. <laughs> okay, well, you know, uh, coach. Get well, uh, well Peyton, Peyton knows this. I mean, I, I tell everybody all the time, the 2010 season forever changed the way he approached the running back position. When you're – when he lost Pierre Thomas and Mike Bell was gone and Reggie Bush was in and out of the lineup, and he's pulling in guys off the street to start multiple games for him. Now, yes, Chris Ivory came up out of the undrafted pool and he was able to do something with Chris Ivory. But even Ivory wasn't consistent. Ivory had uh, a hamstring problem his rookie year. Um, and then he got hurt, and he came back, kicked Seattle's butt in the dome. Um, mm-hmm. Then he came back. Um, he got hurt again. Last couple of games where the Saints were trying to win an extra game, I think, because I think they had a possibility of make, getting the number two seed. I don't remember exactly, but they lost the last game of the season. They lost to Tampa, I think, the last game of the season. And uh, they ended up – it cost them Pierre Thomas and Chris Ivory in that game. So you're now playing Julius Jones and Reggie Bush, and Reggie Bush gets hurt again in the Seattle playoff game. Um, so that, that stuck with him. So – he has decided from that point on he is never going to get stuck with having to pull running backs off the street in a season. So he's going to hoard running backs. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to have four, at least four running backs on the roster. I think yeah. four to be, um, you know, Kamara and Lasko. I think that's your four. Yeah. Um, but, uh, depending but on how, depending how about- Lasko does catching them all. You think about the other side of that coin, though. Uh, the uh, you're only one step away from, as you just alluded to, pulling those guys off the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've heard people rant and rave and raise all amounts of hell about uh, not only the fact that we drafted Kamara, but what we gave up to. 
to get into position to draft Kamar. And the one thing that stands out to me above all else, as far as Kamara goes, is the evaluation I saw uh, after he was picked by New Orleans. And it basically the gist of it was New Orleans has needed that Darren Sproles type since Darren Sproles left New Orleans. Mm -hmm. This is the closest that they've ever been. Yeah. And, you know, everybody, every year, every time Darren Sproles makes a touchdown, it's uh, crawling out of the woodwork saying, ah, we should have never let him go. Okay, well, you know, I get that. But, you know, we want Traveris debt behind Mark Ingram, and we did something about that by signing AP. That's not good enough. You wanted yeah. to replace, you wanted that scroll type, so to speak. We get that, and that's not happening. I, I, I I'm, I'm at a loss, man. Well, you know, there's a lot of Ingram hate out there right now, so yeah, they're going to grasp it, guys. But, yeah, to me, if you don't understand why we brought in Kamara, then there's no helping you, really, because you brought him in <laughs> because you it's not just Darren Sproles, because even if he's not the quick cutting back like Sproles was or Bush was, he can play the Pierre Thomas role. And everybody loves Pierre Thomas. Uh, but he is that Pierre Thomas kind of back as well. I mean, the screen we had trouble running the screen pass. And how many years have the Saints executed the screen pass? In fact, some people were getting frustrated with it because it seemed like that was the only play they ran. But because Pierre Thomas ran it so well, it was always great to run. Um, so, yeah, you're going to have the screen pass come back in again. You're going to get the arrow routes. You're going to get those underneath routes that when you get Kamara matched up against a linebacker and you're going to watch him – take off for that, you know, on third and 15, Kamara's going to get 17 yards on a, on a basically an eight-yard pattern. Um, you're going to see those kind of plays happen again. Um, so, I mean, that's why he's there. You know, the last thing I said about Lasco, yeah, Lasco's got to show he can catch the football. He's also got to show he can pass block. What are two things that Adrian Peterson cannot do? And the Viking fans will tell you this. He can't catch. <laughs> And he can't pass block. So there's another yeah. reason why. And guess who your best pass blocker is on your roster? Your best one, bar none. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. Yes. He can also catch the ball. I used to get mad at Ingram because I thought he used to fight the ball when he would catch it. When you saw him early in his career. And he got a lot better at it. He stopped. Yeah. He tried to catch it up here. He would actually go out and get it and bring it to him, and he became a much better receiver. And that has also led to increased touches for Ingram. The more you can do, the better your chance in Peyton's offense, the better your chance is to see the ball a lot. And that's the thing that people miss when it comes to Adrian Peterson. I, I made the comment not too long ago to someone that over the past five seasons, the very most – improved player on this roster has been Mark Ingram. Oh, bar none. Bar none. Yeah. Absolutely. Because in 2013, I think it was, 
2013, 2014, around that time, I'm like, you know what? I really wouldn't give Ingram another contract. I try and trade him because, or, or just let him go in free agency, let some other team pay a lot, him a lot of money. Because I got tired of hearing about how he needed, you know, 20 to 25 carries a game to get going. And I didn't think he was very much help. Maybe if he, he could pass block, but I didn't think he was very much help in the passing game as far as being a receiver. I felt that early in his career, when Ingram would come out there, it was like, remember that annoying third down alarm? They were playing. Well, he didn't go to many Saints games. You could hear it on TV in the dome. But I think in 2014, 2015, when it became third down, they, the Superdome would play this incredibly annoying air raid horn. You know, I was like, <laughs> well, that's what I felt like was happening when England came in. It's like, running play, running play. Don't bother <laughs> covering the receivers. Put eight men in the box because England just came out there. Running play. Whereas when Thomas came out there, it was, oh, shit. Is it going to be a running play? Are they going to run the damn screen? Is it a play-action pass? What's it going to be? You know, and that's, that's going back to Peterson again. That's my concern with Adrian Peterson showing up a lot on the field. It's like you might as well just say put eight men in the box because we know Peterson can't pass block and we know he can't catch. So it's going to be a running play, you know. And that's something that Peyton hates. Peyton likes to be able to come out in it looks like a power eye formation with two tight ends. And suddenly the tight end kicks out outside the numbers. He's now the uh, he's now the X receiver. The receiver that was X has come, moved in. He's now the slot guy. The fullback is now going into motion. He's on the as an H back. You know now you got a single running back and you got another wide receiver who's split out even you know even further outside the numbers. And you've got eight men tucked in the box and all of a sudden they went to this passing formation. And this could be simple, a simple wheel route coming out the backfield, but it changes the defense. They don't know what to see. And the Saints like to run multiple plays out of the same formation. The 11 is their, most, their favorite formation, one tight end, three wides, and one back. That's their favorite formation, okay? Um, and they like to be able to run multiple plays out of that same formation. And the more you can do out of that formation, because you got more guys that can do all the little things, the more dangerous your offense is because the defense does not know what to expect. All the clues of what's going on are completely throwing them off because they, they can't trust it. Because we saw them, every time we saw them in film, okay, they're in 11. Okay, they threw to this guy here. Oh, wait, they're in 11. They ran the ball. Oh, wait, they're in 11. They shifted out, and look, they, they ran this. And, you know, and it changes over and over and over again. So now the defense is a bunch of stuff they've got to read. They can't just tee off and go after Breeze. And that's that's huge. That, you know, or, or as Donald Trump would say, that's huge. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that over the past three seasons where we've gone uh, – three consecutive years, seven and nine records. Uh, that's one thing that's been a recurring theme over those three seasons was 
the one-dimensional offense. Now, be that uh, due to the fact that we get behind early and we've got to uh, got to narrow the scope of our play calling, uh, yeah. whatever the reason, uh, the one-dimensional offense. When when you have everybody just takes for granted that you got Drew Brees, so everything's going to be all right. And that's really not being fair to him, and that's not being fair to the rest of the team. And that, uh, when you say, oh, well, you know, Brees, if it doesn't succeed, it's because of him, That that's really uh, unfortunate because um, – when everybody on the field, up to and including Waterboy, knows that when the ball is snapped, he's just fixing to go back into uh, pass. And well, basically, what I'm what I'm getting at, everybody in the stadium knows that Drew is fixing to throw the ball. How hard is that to defend? I mean. You take a five-step drop. Don't let anything behind you. Yeah, uh, they get they get what and, I what I call a soft shell defense. Yeah, and they let every they keep all the receivers yeah. in front of them, and they send guys in after Drew because they're not fearing any of the weapons. And yeah, that's all part and parcel of it. That's a you know, and that comes. The word you were looking for so much was predictability. The Saints became yeah. predictable on offense. And I think that the predictability stems from the fact that you had guys that weren't good at everything. They were only good at one or two things. And as a result, you will limit, you shrunk your playbook down to deal with the things that you were good at. And I think the problems along the offensive line, especially in 2014, 2015, um, really impacted what they were trying to do, what they could do offensively. I was thinking about that Eagles game, you know, in Philadelphia where they beat the living hell out of Drew, and it's because the offensive line could not buy him any time at all. Uh, They just sent guys in after him, you know, and and that's where losing a Pierre Thomas, losing a Darren Sproles who could run and catch – um, losing to Jimmy Graham, who could play. Some issue with Who's that? Washington's mom don't pay money. What the fuck does she have to? Got to bow out for one second. Ah, okay. Okay. Gotcha. All right. I'll keep going. <laughs> thought that was God for a minute there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but losing guys that offered you multiple things that your receiver that your offense can do limited what um what the play calls they could run and as a result that hurt them so what they what you've been seeing them trying to at least from an offensive standpoint is a improve the offensive line that's why you drafted a pete that's why you drafted ramashek uh that's why you signed warford that's why you made the trade for unger uh, you did these things to improve the offensive line. 
uh, to give Brees more time. And you also brought in receivers like Cooks, who were traded. You traded and brought in Thomas. You traded and brought in uh, Kamara. Now you bring in Adrian Peterson, who is a good – I'd like to see Peterson get the bulk of his carries in the second half of a game where he has fresh legs and you are running the ball because you're trying to – and everyone knows you're running the ball because you're trying to run the clock out. You know, that's when you start seeing this offense do what it's supposed to do and you start seeing a more diverse attack because you think about – Let's pull the Falcons out, for example. Uh, what made the Falcons so deadly this past year? Um, they jumped on you so early with such a multitude of weapons. Uh, two running backs that could do everything. And you had Julio Jones, which drew a lot of attention. And they finally got a receiver alongside of Julio Jones and Sununu, who, uh, you know, he could draw a lot, at least a single coverage. He could beat that single coverage because – Jones demanded so much. Then Taylor Gabriel came out, and he was dynamic out of the slot. And they jump on you. You're down 35 to 10 before you have even hit halftime yet. And now they can just sit on that lead and just pound the ball at you. Unless you're playing the Patriots, and you just, you know, you stop running the ball, and you just throw the ball still because you want to try and humiliate Tom Brady and Bill Belichick on a national stage. So you end up giving up. 25 points and losing to a Super Bowl in the first overtime Super Bowl. But be that as it may, I just felt like I had to throw that back out there. Um, the fact is, having multiple weapons, jumping on teams early, that was the formula for success for the Saints in 2009. That was a formula for the Saints in 2011. And even to a certain extent, the formula they tried to do in 2013 at least at home, you saw them jump on teams early, have an impact, especially in the dome, uh, and then you let that defense go out there and force a couple three and outs. Okay, you back? Nope. Are you back? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. <laughs> all right. I just, all right. Oh, I just tap dance like, a, like Jeffrey Hines <laughs> on crack cocaine. I mean – Oh, nothing, nothing. I just sat there and gave my explanation <laughs> about why the Saints offense has to be more dynamic um, and why you make these uh, moves. Because, well, the more, because it, let's face it, it, this goes on to the other stuff we're going to talk about, but, you know, the defense, you're not going to have um, – a defense like the Dome Patrol, you're not going to have a defense that's going to shut teams down and just let Breeze just blow teams up. It's not going to happen. So you've got to have a defense that can basically make enough key stops and force a couple of turnovers so that you're always on the plus side of the giveaway-takeaway ratio. So you end up in the double digits like the Kansas City Chiefs, like um, – Oh, um, I just had him a second ago. Uh, not the Ravens and not the Patriots. There's another team I was just thinking of a second ago, and it'll come to me in a minute. And always a double-digit turn, you know, giveaway, takeaway. We're always on the plus side, always. Um, they're always getting turnovers. And the old Ravens with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, and they were the ones that did that a lot. But the Kansas City Chiefs are obviously the most recent one 
but you get a team you know, that does, a defense that does that, they can give up a ton of yards. They can give up a ton of completions. But if they get the turnovers and turn teams away or get key stops to get the Saints' offense more possessions, that's winning football. That's a 13-win that's team. That's what a 13-win yeah. Saints team is like. And the point that I've made over the, the past couple of months, actually, uh, you, you look back on this season, and we were every bit of a 7-9 and nine team, but those nine losses were by six points or less. So you're talking there, uh, what you were just alluding to, you're talking about one more turnover or – a team down for no points rather than giving up a field goal. You're talking about that being the, the difference in a ball game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and you look at the what? how many games did we lose this past year? Uh, not only because of special nine. teams mistakes. No, no, I know we lost nine, but I'm saying how many games did we lose this past <laughs> year? How many games did we lose this past year because we didn't get a key turnover when we needed it. We didn't get – we had special teams breakdowns. But we didn't get that key stop at the end yeah. of the game um, that could have made the difference. Um, I mean, even – let's just say that – let's look at the Denver game, for example. Um, before we had the block extra point that was returned for a quote-unquote touchdown, which I stepped out of bounds, but even before that play happened – when Breeze threw that incredible pass and completed it to Cooks, what's the first thing that popped to your mind? My mind, it was, there's a minute 14 left. That's way too much time, you know, and all they need is a field goal to win. That's way too much time, you know, because we knew our defense could not get that key stop. In 2009, we're, not, we're thinking, oh, no, we got this game now. We just stole this game from yeah. them. Um, because we're going to yeah. get that stop. We're going to get that stop. You know, that's to me. That's the that's the major difference. It, yeah. Um, there's going to the there's so much. Um, I don't know the word I'm particularly looking for here, but there's going to be so big of a premium placed on the defense this year to shut that down to be that that unit that closes out the game rather than sits there and chews your fingernails worrying about whether or not they're going to be able to uh, to hang in there and do get the job done. Yep. Yep. Because you, you know, you want to, and that's what happens when you're in defense that is an opportunistic defense that forces turnovers. Because you're thinking the whole time, at least I was, go back to the 2009 NFC Championship game. My wife watched the game, you know, like this, the whole fourth <laughs> quarter like this with her head in her hands. She couldn't look at it. Um, but I'm standing there looking at this going, okay, who's going to make the play? Who is going to make the the play, the turnover that's going to that's going to end this game? Because the Vikings are going to turn the ball over. They've done it seven times already. They're going to turn the ball over. And it's just a matter of who's going to make the play. So when Porter makes the play, 
you know, aside from relief that somebody made it, you know, it, it's just this, I knew you'd do it. I knew somebody was going to do it. You know, I may have thought, okay, it's going to be sharper, but regardless, you know, you, I knew someone was going to make the play in the game that was going to end it. And what happened in the Super Bowl, the same thing. Peyton's driving down the field, and, you know, you're just you're going, okay, the worst he could do is tie it, and we're going to get the ball again. But someone's going to make the play to stop this game. And when Tracy Porter makes the play again, you're like, there you go. That's how that mm -hmm. season went. That whole season, yeah. it was always who makes the play, the turnover, or whatever, that seals the game. Yeah. It's just that's to me, that's that's good that's winning football. That's Saints yeah. winning football at least. And you know, to that end, that's the reason that you see the the draft going by the way of Marcus Lattimore William wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Marsh Marshawn Lattimore. Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Mar Williams, yeah. Yeah. Uh that's why you see uh those guys being brought because uh, it, in my opinion, anyway, that every since Sharper left New Orleans, uh, you can say what you want to about the guy now, and I don't uh, defend or condone the path that he chose to uh, the trajectory that he put him, himself or his uh, his life on. I, I don't condone that, support it, mm -hmm. or defend it. But at the same time. You don't win that a Super Bowl without him. There's, you, you cannot, there's no way anyone can sit there and say, you don't win a Super Bowl without Darren Sharper. Um, and yeah, I'm the same way. I'm never, I will never defend what he has done off the field post the Super Bowl. But that year, he was a defensive MVP, especially in the first half of the season. He set the tone. How many, times, how many defensive touchdowns did he score at the beginning of the season? You know, from, uh, you know, six, the, uh, six, the, I think. I know he scored, yeah, I think he scored six. I think it was nine defensive touchdowns total that year. But I mean, you had in the first game against Detroit, he gets a pick six. He got one against uh, Philadelphia. He got the big one, the big turnaround, one in, in Miami. I mean, so it just yeah. kept happening, you know, and it was got to the point where if, if it didn't happen, you're like, okay, what's wrong with Sharper? How come he's not picking off a pass? He yeah. got an interception in yeah. uh, in the New England massacre. I mean, it's just yeah, you know. So um, know, it, we we had uh, we had intended. Uh, I think the time had gotten away from us a little bit tonight. But uh, yeah, next week we are going to break down into I guess what you call quadrants. <laughs> uh, the, uh huh the uh the coming 2017 season and look at our uh our opponents over the 17 weeks of the season and what we can expect from that um alan real quickly you, you are a uh, a really i don't want to I, I don't think that the word i'm looking for is shrewd but uh mm -hmm. you're a very good evaluator of talent. um Going back and, and looking at the uh, the point of emphasis for so many people during this offseason, the pass rush, would you say that the, the pass 
accomplish of the Saints has gotten better, uh, stayed the same, or maybe not really been a as much of a focal point as what we thought it would be uh, through free agency draft and the uh, the UDFA market. Okay, first off, our pass rush has gotten better because we blitz more. We have to blitz. Okay, I thought Cam Jordan had a Pro Bowl type season last year and he kind of got a snub um, because he was on a statistically bad defense. Um, I thought Nick Fairley played very well on third downs, got a lot of push. I thought Rankins came in and it's a shame he missed the first eight games because I thought by the end of November, early December, he was playing some pretty good football. Uh, so, yeah, I think in that standpoint, you've got three good defensive linemen who can do something. Um, uh, you know, the problem is your other pass rushers are guys that have one foot in a mass unit and the other foot on the field in Kihaka and in, uh, in Ellaby. Uh, you know, those kind of guys, um, you can't, you don't feel like you can rely on those guys. And unfortunately, in the draft, because of the way the draft fell, and I think the second round was what changed it, because I think if they really liked a pitcher, they would have taken him in the second round, but they didn't have one they really liked. I think the guy they really, really liked, the Falcons took you know, um, at the end of the first round. And yeah. I think after that, they kind of rated everybody a lot lower than the fans did. Yeah. So as a result, I can't say the pass rush is going to be better. I think Hendrickson, Hendrickson has the potential to be a good rotational player. Yeah. More of a rotate, more of a contributor than Kihaka will in this defense. Um, I don't know what Okafor is going to be able to do for us. I think he'll be better than um, uh, what's his name? The the, the, the guy who came from no, the guy who came no, the guy who came from the Browns, who was the, the past the defensive end. Robert this past year. No, no, the guy on defensive end. We picked him oh, up right there. Kruger. Kruger. I think he'd be better than Kruger. But does that translate to eight yeah. sacks? I don't know. If we can get eight sacks out of him, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I, I've gone uh, – I, I alluded earlier to the uh, to the video that I did earlier tonight for the uh, the New Orleans Saints group. In that video, I, I made the comment, and I want to see if you agree, disagree, or uh, really could care less one way or the other uh, on this – I made the point at the end of the video that I think a year from now, two years from now, so on and so forth, when the acquisition of Adrian Peterson as being the premier free agents, free agency move of this off season, 
we're we're going to look back on the position of Adrian Peterson as being the most important free agency move that we made. Do you agree with that? Um, I can't say. And the reason why I can't say is because, let's say, Peterson plays against his old team, shows up like it's 2012, and just runs over that defense and just looks like a monster up there. But then practice the following week, he pulls a hamstring, he's out four weeks. You know, I mean, let's see what happens at the end of the season, like when we total it all up and see what what, what goes on with that. Um, Because... I, I, you know, uh, to me, I, I can't say yet because it, it, this is the other thing. Yeah. You know, we were going to okay. kind of project a 50, 53 man roster to an extent. What guys we think we're going to make the team, what guys aren't. And I know a lot of LSU fans already have Darrell anywhere from making, beating out Coleman for a job to being the number two receiver ahead of Sneed. But you, we, we can't say anything about anybody until we see him on the field. Half the guys we might be praising today might get cut before training camp even starts. Uh, you know, I, I call it the Ona Mayo Joe yeah, Award. You know, I mean, it just. Um, I, I, at this point, the only thing or the, the closest thing to rival the, uh, the acquisition of Peterson in my mind, anyway, was the re-signing of Fairley. Um, going yeah. into free agency, I said that that had to be um, the biggest uh, – I, I don't know the word I'm looking for it. Once again. Um, it's a, It was the best off-season, was the be, best off-season uh, move. You know, re-signing Fairley and then yeah. bringing, in a, bringing in a star like Peterson. But – only if Peterson produces and only, I mean, yeah. look, last year when we brought in fairly, people were saying, well, you know, he might be able to help a little bit. And sure enough, it turned out as the season ended, uh, he was probably the most consistent defensive lineman. You know, uh, you didn't know that was going to happen. Um, yeah. So let's see we'll revisit this topic. I hate to say it, but we'll revisit this topic in February and see who the best who the best uh, free agent acquisition is because that's yeah. really the only one you're going to know. Um, yeah. You know, guys that people expect to do well rarely do well, and the guys that no one even heard of. And I always go back to the Joe Horn example. Um, Joe Horn, I remember the day I heard him get announced as the Saints' first free agent signing. And I'm, and they're like, yeah, hey, he might be able to contribute on kick returns. He's a, he was number four receiver with Kansas City. He barely played. You know, we don't know what we're going to get out of him. It was kind of a, yeah, yeah, we got that guy, but that's not the that's not the big player. You know, that's just a player. They were more excited about Jeff Blake. And what happened? <laughs> Joe Horn became, you know, the face of the franchise for lack of a better, you know. So, I, I agree. And made him the X receiver. I agree. I agree. Once I agree. Um, field. 
it's uh, everything up to this point is uh, for all practical intents and purposes it has to be uh, prefaced by saying at least on paper uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's just where we are right now uh, coming up in the next uh, month maybe two months we have three I believe OTAs scheduled for uh, for the Saints um, and I want to say the last weekend of July is when training camp opens I'll have to uh, mm -hmm. yeah it's the last it's the last week of July because they were they report like a Thursday on a Thursday and um, I think the rookies come in a couple of days early they haven't officially announced the schedule yet, but that's generally how the Saints do it. The rookies come in a couple days early, and then the um, the uh, the veterans come in. And I think the first first hitting practice is like almost a week in the camp, you know, yeah. a week from that Thursday. So yeah, so, so yeah, we're looking at the last week yeah. of July, first week of August, and then I think the Hall of Fame game is the second weekend of August. If you guys. Uh, if you guys take absolutely nothing from this episode of our show, but one concept, don't, uh, when it comes to, uh, to rumors, speculation, all that stuff, don't go with all these knee-jerk reactions, uh, and, and as an example, I'll use, uh, the past, 24 or 36 hours or so. Uh, we're going to miss, we're, we're going to have uh, Unger out for half the season. And uh, as far as that goes, the, uh, the prevailing thought process was he's going to miss the beginning of the season, which if he's, uh, if he's added to the pup list, which is physically unable to perform, that is uh, automatically six weeks right off the top. Um, the only alternative to that would be the IR with designation to return. And as I understand it, Alan, you may uh, correct, uh, you may hold my feet to the fire on this. Uh, the IR with designation to return, there each team is only allowed two of those per season, correct? Yes. I'm almost positive that's what it is. It's it's two this yeah. year. Yeah. I, I know last year one of ours was Delvin Bro. Um, mm -hmm. I think the other one was Rankins. I think actually no, uh they did back. No, um Rankins. No, Delvin Bro was never Delvin Bro wasn't on an IR or pup list or anything. He was just deactivated. Um, it was only Rankins that was on the uh, – he started on the he, – he was on the IR list. I don't think we had a guy on the pup list. I, we had um, – we had one – we had uh, Andrew Young, who was on the reserve football non-injury list, and then he was activated late in the season. Um, yeah. We had Rankins, who was on IR, because everybody thought he was going to be on the pup list, and they had him coming back for week seven – and he actually came back in week nine. Um, we had Bro, who was just deactivated. 
Um, he was not put on any kind of injury reserve or anything like that. So, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's funny because they make these moves based on roster space too. Um, if they take a lot of injuries at a certain position, like cornerback last year, and they need the, the roster space, they move people to IR or they move people onto different lists rather than just deactivate them because they need the space. I think we brought in a quarterback from Green Bay and everybody thought it was going to be the heir apparent for uh, Drew Brees. We put him on the active roster yeah. because we had to, and he only lasted, what, a week here? So, you know, they make a lot of moves, short-term decisions based on anticipating ro- roster space. And uh, I think so. One one point that I gotta uh, I gotta drive home. Uh, everything that I saw yesterday, it seemed insignificant at the time, but everybody was saying it's far too early to tell yet. But uh, blah 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 blah. Well, far too early to tell yet was the key thing that people just conveniently skipped right on over uh long story short the word coming out of nola today was that all appearances seem to be that unger is going to be able to return during the preseason which we hope to be uh to we hope to be the case but that being said we basically uh if nothing else we have the parameters to uh to operate because we have best case scenario, which is returning during preseason, and worst case scenario, which is half the season, uh, be it pup list, IR with designation, all of that. Um, but anyway, moving right along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't no. don't uh, don't check notifications that uh that regard the saint stuff if you're uh, like on a high ledge uh, <laughs> if, if if nothing else it... consult alan and i we make ourselves <laughs> available for just such uh, emergencies as that you know when douglas adams say don't panic you know don't panic uh don't make panic moves because Oh my God, somebody's hurt again. You know, I know it seems like the Saints. I think uh, Nick Underhill took a uh, took a from 2014, 2015, and 2016. Like the Saints are cursed with an obscene number of injuries. And 2016 was high because you had so many cornerbacks go down. But you know, last year. In 2014, 2015 was not uncommon as far as injuries. It's This goes back to the same old stuff we've been saying forever. When we we miss on free agents and we miss on draft picks and you draft so few players, you know, injuries hurt your team a lot compared to – because we had players missing in 2009. We lost both starting cornerbacks in 2009 for, for several games. That's why Mike McKenzie was playing against New England. That's why uh, Chris McAllister was playing against Washington. Um, 
Usama Young. Lose players, okay? Um, Shockey was in and out of the lineup. Bush was in and out of the lineup with injuries. You know, but the thing was, we had enough people that carried us over. You know, we didn't lose key players. You didn't lose Knicks for half the season. You didn't lose Evans. You didn't lose uh, um, uh, Pierre Thomas. You didn't lose Drew Brees. You didn't lose a lot of, you know, you didn't lose Marcus Colston. Marcus Colston missed a half of 2007, uh, 2008, sorry, 2008. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just all of those kind of things. Um, so we don't have the depth injuries hurt even more. So when we finally started to build up depth, the one position we had a lot of depth then going into the season, cornerback, we lost eight guys. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it just, that's the kind of things that happened. Huh? But yeah, by week two. By week two, because yeah. you were losing guys in June. You know, you lost Jamarcus San- uh, Sanford. You lost uh, um, the Alabama kid that came from the Jets. Um, I can't. I, I I can't think of people's names right now. I don't know why I can't. But I'm, um, I'm drawing a blank as well. Yeah, but you you lost your back. You lost your nickel corner. You lost you lost Damian Swan in the preseason. You know, Keenan Lewis was never healthy. Um, you know, and then Devin Bro breaks his leg in week one, and then week two, your other starting cornerback, PJ Williams, gets a severe concussion. He's out for the year in week two. So I mean, so now suddenly in week three, you're starting two guys you signed off the street, BW Webb and more. You know, you're you're playing undrafted rookies that were lucky if they were even gonna make the team in preseason. And these guys now are your nickel and dime cornerbacks. So, yeah, it, it's just a mess. I agree. Um, but, you know, the there again, uh, in, in terms of advising our, our, uh, our loyal followers and what have you, remember, just like every other year, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Don't uh, don't get all bluted out and uh, blow yourself out right now because you haven't even got to training camp yet. Breathe. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meditate. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh. Any uh. Do you have any uh, extra points tonight, Alan? You know, we've kind of touched on a lot of it. I mean, you know, my big thing, and we've talked about the whole thing, is, you know, again, give it up with Mark Ingram. He's about a season and a half away from becoming the Saints' all-time leading rusher. You know, he's going to do it. Um, Saints fans have to really, you know, they – Ingram is going to be one of these guys that 20 years from now, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, he was a good back. I wish we had Ingram today, you know, because, I, you know, they talk about, you know, Sean Payton not running the ball. Sean Payton's had 2,000-yard rushers in the 10 years he, he's been head coach. Do you realize that until Ricky Williams got 1,000 yards rushing, as uh, in 2000, with Jim Haslam's first year, that the Saints went 
over a decade and three coaches. yards in 1989 no running back for Jim Moore's team ever got a thousand yards again certainly no running back for Mike Dicka's team got, a, got even close to a thousand yards and then it took Ricky Williams under Jim Haswell to get a thousand yards so I mean and that was those were two teams with Dicka and, and, and Moore certainly they were built on running the football and they couldn't get a thousand yard rusher so you know Ingram, it's not flashy. It's not pretty. Uh, he'll he'll drive you crazy with a lot of one and two yard gains and not seeming to get the first down. But then somehow he manages to get five yards of carry after the season's all said and done. So yeah, just just lay off of Ingram. That's my that's my extra point. And uh, for me as well. Uh, Obviously, uh, we want to. We did. We never dipped the time last week so much uh, to thank you guys for all the support that you threw our way. Um, hearing the uh, the big draft of Palooza extravaganza that we threw. Uh, thank you guys so much for making that such an incredible success. Uh, but also, uh, for those of you who aren't aware of. Uh, we have just recently, excuse me, we have just recently surpassed uh, a thousand followers on our Facebook page, and now we're working on two. So thank you guys so much for uh, making what we do a success. Uh, we gauge what we do by what you guys want, and that's uh, that's the only stick for us is what do you guys want, what we'll give you. Um, yeah. As far as an uh, extra point, I, I don't I guess I really have one this week. I'll, I'll give everybody a rest and I'll, I'll rant on next week, I suppose. Uh, I guess that's it, brother. Yeah, there we go. Well, we only went, what, 16 minutes over this time, so that's not too bad. Um. So, anyway, yeah. We're losing our time. I'm telling you, we have, we don't guess on a guess. We have to get a guess so we can uh, we can talk about that more. You know, we didn't break into the season, which of course, you know, let's save all that stuff for um, yeah for later on as we get into as we get into the really dead part of the season, which is what this is now. If it wasn't for the Ingram talk and if it wasn't for Unger's injury, really we wouldn't have much to talk about right now. But we can talk about the preseason. They announced the preseason schedule today. Um, you know, then we'll go into – it's good to break it into quarters. We'll go into the first half of the season, the first quarter, you know, how important it is for the Saints to get off to a great start. And the schedule makers did not make it any easy – make it easy for us to do that. Um, you know, then we'll go into, you know, going to London and uh, the, the so-called yeah. softer part of the schedule and then how important to finish strong is, um, you know, yeah. how we do in that first. We can't do what we've been doing, fighting to get to 500 by the halfway point of the season and completely expending all of our energy so that we have this late season collapse again. You know, we never get over 500. We can't do that. 
And I think the first four games you know, determine that. So we'll get into that next time, of course. Yeah, uh, we're going to discuss the uh, the scheduling next week in great detail. And uh, as we'll bring out then, it's so very, very important for the New Orleans Saints. And I don't mean that just kind of as something neat to say uh this is it's proven historically and there again we'll 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 bear that out next it's proven historically that when the saints begin uh begin their season with a win uh i if i'm not mistaken started with a win the end result has been postseason but uh, we'll we'll verify and uh, take care of all that next week. Uh, thank you guys so much once yes. again. We invite Absolutely. you guys to um, to follow us on Twitter at for the dome. Uh, my colleague Alan Ulrich is at seventy nine Saints. I am at Drew's Dad thirty seven twenty one. And on Facebook, we are Under the Dome Podcast. Thank you guys so much for following us, for supporting us, and being a part of what we do and allowing us to be a part of what you do. Absolutely. Thank you guys for, uh, for watching and participating. Uh, we really, uh, you know, please, please, uh, if there's anything you want us to talk about, we get into the dead part of the season. We're going to need stuff to talk about and hopefully no injuries to talk about. We want to have good stuff to talk about, you know, so please, you know, shoot us an email, shoot us a, a, a tweet or whatever, and uh, we'll talk about whatever it is you want us to talk about. So, but uh, thank you guys, and we'll see you next time on Under the Dome. Good night, everybody. <laughs>